Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and what a debut for the rookie as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 72. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films. He's going to join us to talk about the one and only Carson Wentz and his takeaways after watching the All-22. Greg and I will also talk about those Chicago Bears and what the Eagles can expect to see on Monday night on both sides of the ball. Next up, we've got Scouting Report, where I want to talk to you about a player that the Bears are really hoping will take that next step on Monday night on the offensive side of the ball. Someone that the Eagles need to be focused on and be wary of when they go into that game on Monday Night Football, why he's got all the talent to do so under the lights. Lastly, we'll wrap it up with two technique, where this week I caught up with Eagles running back Byron Marshall to figure out how to run a Texas route out of the backfield, and I've got a good reason for that. But we've got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. Greg and I talk about Carson Wentz, this Eagles defense, and a whole lot more. Let's get to that interview now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, Greg, it's week two here is, uh, at the NovaCare Complex. Uh, very interesting to, to get Week one was going. okay, by the way. Week one was pretty good, and I want to yeah. start you this because – we have not talked about the performance of Carson Wentz. The no. only times we've talked so far, we've been talking about the Chicago Bears off camera. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm asking you this cold. If you had to put Carson Wentz's grade, taking all things in consideration, we, in fact, this is, it's his rookie start. It's his first start in his rookie year uh, against a, a veteran defense coordinator in Ray Horton, coming off 39 snaps in the preseason. That's less snaps than any rookie starter uh, in week one than in modern history. As far back as I could go and find snap counts in the preseason, uh, Carson Wentz was by far the least. And also coming from the FCS level, sure. so not "quote unquote" ready for the NFL. How would you grade the performance of Carson Wentz in Week One? What's the grading system? We'll, we'll say A, B, C, D. Or obviously, we're assuming that you're not going to see the the last two. No, you won't see. We, we don't. <laughs> we don't need those on the grading <laughs> no, scale. I don't think so. Um, I would say B plus A minus. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, what, what was it that stood out most to you? Because obviously— I'm going to tell you. Go ahead. Let's here, say. Here's what stood out, and this I always find really interesting, and you'll appreciate it because of how much college tape you watch. Yeah. He looked like he was playing in college. He looked exactly the same. I, and I think yeah. that's, that's a real positive sign because when you see players who come into the NFL and then they they can't do what they did in college, you get a little scared, you know, because this is the way they're used to playing. And we watched Carson Wentz. In fact, we did some some great work. I thought anyway uh, before the draft, breaking down Carson Wentz. I don't want to bury the. Le- I don't want uh, to let oh. you go too far. Oh, because okay, because I actually have a video segment that's coming on the site. You can you if depending on when you're listening to this, this will be on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and on the mobile app now. I'm assuming you're going to talk about a couple of plays. Well, that were the play that to me yes. really stood out because the NFL now is a game about the pre-snap phase as much yes, as what happens absolutely. after the snap of the ball. Yeah. And you really don't expect a rookie quarterback, given what you said without going back over all those facts about his inexperience, 
you don't expect a rookie quarterback to have a great feel for the pre-snap phase. Not even after playing seven or eight or nine games. That's something that normally doesn't happen. And when he had that 28-yard completion to Matthews, uh, to Jordan Matthews on the corner route, sale route, uh, that to me said so much about where Carson Wentz is as a player and just what's kind of in his approach to the game. Because that was a classic play where he was under center, the Browns showed their cross-dog fire X blitz. Which is something we talked about on Eagles game plan last week. Absolutely. Yep. And I guarantee, I guarantee that he was coached on that blitz because Ray Horton, that's a staple of Ray Horton. Now, you know how coaches are. They could have showed him that blitz from three years ago. You know, that's the way coaches are. But he saw it as soon as they showed that blitz. And that's right in his face. So instead of sort of saying, oh, my God, maybe I better snap the ball, maybe I better do – Call timeout. Yeah, exactly. He immediately calmly knew that, you know what? He didn't change the routes. He knew what he had against the single high look. He had the the vertical route by Aguilar and then the sail route underneath it. A great call against single high, by the way. So he knew the route concept was going to work. But he needed to back himself away – from that cross-dog blitz to give him time and space to deliver the football cleanly. And that's exactly what he did. And, he, and what he did was he did change the protection. He made what's called a box call. So, so he explain ti- a box call. He tightened the protection up so that the guard was going to work inside to take one of the A-gap because it becomes a double A-gap blitz. It's a cross-dog fire X, but it's essentially a double A-gap blitz. And the reason why a quarterback would make that kind of call is typically when you've got something like that, a double A-gap, triple A-gap, you're going to get those players that are playing on the edges, the defensive ends, are going to drop, drop out, out. So which you're he, not worried which about. Which he it. understood as well. Right. Because he basically knew that he was not going to get outside pressure because what goes with the Fire X in the Ray Horton system, and that goes back to the Dick LeBeau system basically, is that the, the defensive ends normally drop out, and that's, which is what happened. So he understood the whole – and keep in mind, this is happening all in the space of this, the, yeah. the, the millisecond he sees – the uh, cross dog blitz before the snap, and he understood the totality of, of the concept. And that play to me, and we talked about it during the game when we were watching yep. the game, I just thought that play really showed, and, and that was in the first half, I believe, was it not? That was in the first half. That was set, that set up a field goal to make right. it, to give them 10 points. Right. So, you know, just to see that in the second quarter, I believe, yes, it was second yeah, quarter. Second quarter of his first start after having not played since the first and not practiced a lot either, by the way, yep. just doing classroom work, that says an awful lot about his process because that comes from process. So the, the play that stood out to me, and that play absolutely did, uh, and it might be number one, but the other one I'll that stood you, out. Well, let's see which well, one the, you the, the other one that stood out because you could, we could always say, look, the, the, throw that, the throw that he made on both touchdowns to Aguilar and to Jordan Matthews were both great throws. But you know what? We see rookie quarterbacks that don't always pan out. They can all make throws. Those that's, why they were, that's why they, yeah. were, they were high picks, right? Because right. they, they can make those throws. Right. To me, the, the other one that stood out was the other completion of Jordan Matthews on the deep dig. The deep and, dig. And here's, here's, here's why is that he has a, a three-level stretch to his right side, yep. and he's got the dig to the backside. The complementary back, which is a that's common. common route concept yep. in the NFL, the backside dig off the front side stretch. Exactly. Yeah. So when he sees that he's got two high safeties, he knows, you know what? 
I'm not going to have this three-level stretch. It's third and nine. I want to get a first down. Right, right. Uh, the the corner route's going to get taken away. The stretch over the top's going to get taken away. I, I want to work with this backside dig because that's a cover two beater. I want to get it. The dig route's going to be underneath the safety. He's going to beat that corner on the outside. I trust my guy. I'm going to throw him open. He let go of that ball when Jordan Matthews was still at the numbers, and he hit it right on the eye of the eagle right in the middle of the and, field, and he snuck it into the tightest of windows. And the other thing that really stood out to me, Fran, on that, yeah. and I know you saw it as well, was his patience and command in the pocket. Yeah. From his backside, the pressure was coming. I forget who it was, whether it was Barber or Peters, who was being pushed back into him. Yeah. And oblivious is not the right word because that gives a sense that he had no idea there was pressure. But he understood that he could still get that throw off without breaking down. How many times do we see young quarterbacks and veteran quarterbacks and veteran quarterbacks <laughs> perceive pressure that by NFL standards is not really there? Yeah. And they move, and they themselves break down the timing of the plays when they move when they don't have to. He stood there. He threw that ball, and I don't think there was six or eight inches between him and the offensive lineman when he made that throw. And he sat on his back foot and drove it because that was a drive throw. So don't tell me arm strength doesn't matter in the NFL. No, it was uh, th- th- those were the two plays that yeah. really kind of yeah. that matter. They get you excited. Yeah, no, no question. Because you, like I said, you can you can see guys make great throws. Uh, you know, there's instant. Jamarcus Russell could make a lot of those big throws. Right. But those are the traits that that really kind of stuck with me uh, when watching Carson Wentz's performance. Obviously, look, some things you have to work on. You want to hey. see him cut out some of those hits. Yes. Uh, there were because he's he's always. And I wrote this in my piece Monday night. He's always going to be a guy that's going to take some hits because he hangs in the pocket, because he is a competitive kid with the ball in his hands, right. and he's going to run for yards. He's going to take shots, but you want to limit the ones that are unnecessary. And so what he needs to work on, and it, it showed up on a couple of plays here and there, sure. is he needs to eliminate what's not there quicker, Yep, which is a very common thing for young quarterbacks. Yeah. So you eliminate what's not there quicker, get off of it, and then go to something else. No doubt. And so, that's why young quarterbacks do take – some veteran quarterbacks still take hits like that. In fact, Jay Cutler's like that, the <laughs> quarterback the Eagles are playing this week. But you try to eliminate what's not there. And, and hey, the great ones, the Bradys, and, and I'm not putting Wentz in that category. Of course. I mean, we're just making a point here. Right. I don't want people to think I'm making that comparison. <laughs> you know? when, we were, no. when I was putting a lot of these shots up on Twitter on, uh, on Monday, a lot of people were like, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers makes throws like that all week. I'm like – or all season. I'm like, well – It'd be nice if we were comparing Carson exactly, Wentz there. Exactly. <laughs> but the, the point I'm making is that the great ones eliminate before the snap of the ball. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and Wentz is not there yet, but he needs to eliminate some things quicker. And believe me, that's just from repetition. Yeah, no doubt. Well, some very, obviously very, very exciting tape to go through. Oh, it was great. Uh, you know, watching Wentz and his performance against Cleveland. Only one game. We've got 15 more to go. So really and you excited know what? to watch There'll be some progress. bad ones. Absolutely. There'll be some bad ones. Yeah, you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah. So uh, staying on the offensive side of the ball, I'll tell you what, watching the game live with you Sunday, I came away, I, I was, you know, not that I was disconcerted, but I was expecting a little bit more from the run game. And then I watched it again, and yeah. I was I was kind of impressed with the running backs. Yeah. I thought they did a pretty good job because there were some busts up front, you know, which is, which is fine. It's Always understandable, uh, especially week one. Um, but I thought the running backs did a good job of when there was a play that should have been for minus one, they got four. When right. there was a play that should have been two, they got five. And especially on first down, I thought they ran the ball really well. And, and by the way, they ran the ball really well out of the gun. Yeah, and which I was, think, it was yeah. just impressive. I think if, if, if memory serves me correctly, because I charted, I believe they had 17 shotgun runs for 90 yards. I think that was the number. 
and that's that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, and obviously that's a featured part of the Doug Peterson offense is the shotgun run game. We saw that in Kansas City. It's going to be featured here. But I, I even said to you what maybe fourth quarter when they put up uh, numbers for, for Ryan Matthews, and I said to you, I said, you know, those numbers aren't great, but I thought it was a very workmanlike performance. Yep, you did. That's right. Yeah, and, and watching it, it was – I definitely came away more impressed re-watching yep. the game yep. with the running game overall. Okay, and they're, they've got things they're going to work on. I th- and we did not see the, the extent of that run game from a schematic standpoint either. I think we're going to see right. a lot more multiplicity. Right. The misdirection element, we didn't really see much at no. all uh, this past week against Cleveland. So that will be something to watch as well. Uh, defensively, wh- what were your thoughts defensively from uh, from the For me, it was Cleveland? hard to get a read, and I'll tell you why. Because they didn't have to do very much in this game. Yeah, I mean, they didn't blitz much. They didn't have to do a whole lot with pressure concepts. They didn't have to do a whole lot, you know, coverage-wise. I thought they played a, f- they played to the game and to the opponent, and that's good coaching. Sure. You know, and and you didn't see. And again, not the Jim Schwartz. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to do crazy stuff. You know, he's not a high percentage blitzer. Right. He's not a guy who does a ton coverage-wise. You know, a lot of basic concepts, ideally executed very well. Um, but you didn't see a lot because he understood the flow of the game, the nature of the opponent. Um, this week is a little different only in the sense that if the, if the pass rush doesn't improve, and I think that's one area that has to be better this week, if the pass rush doesn't improve, people can say what they want about Jay Cutler, but he is a late-in-the-down quarterback who will stand in the pocket and then rifle the ball, and he's got a, a hose. So the pass rush has to get to Cutler, who then tends to be very unsettled and undisciplined. But there has to be pass rush. Or he will stand game. there and, yep. and deliver the football. Yeah, I was surprised at times watching the tape against Houston. There were times where Houston uh, went with like two, three-man rush and you let uh, you, you let Jay Cutler sit back there, and he can do that to you. So uh, on the outside, I mean, Alshon Jeffrey is a guy that he's kind of been the same player over the last couple of years, but – He's, he's a good player. Yeah. I mean, the, the ability to go up and win uh, in those contested situations Critical. is certainly the strength of his game. Yeah, and and you know one thing you and I have talked about and is so important in the league now is that that receiver who lines up as the single receiver to the boundary when there's trips to the other side to the field. Jeffrey's one of those guys. Yeah, and though that receiver normally gets man coverage, just because sure. there's three receivers to the other side of the field. Yep. And that receiver, get, even if it's a quote-unquote zone concept, if he's running vertically outside the numbers, whatever zone concept that corner is playing essentially becomes man Correct. because he's got to cover him with no help. And he can win those jump balls. He can make contested catches. And Cutler can make the back shoulder throws. We've seen that. And that's something that they have to be very careful about. He's their most dangerous offensive weapon. And those kinds of plays can be explosive, game-changing plays. What have been your thoughts so far, only a, a year in a, and a game now into his career, of running back Jeremy Langford? I think he's a quickness runner. I think he's got that one-cut downhill quickness. He's got some burst. Um, I, I think they're trying to find out if he can be one of those physical inside runners who you can keep pounding. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're the book's out on that. But I think right now, because Jordan Howard, who they drafted out of Indiana in the fifth round, who's 230 pounds, has struggled through training camp and is not ready to play. Um, so for now, Langford's the guy. And I think they have to run the ball. You know, it's funny. In watching the tape of, of Chicago against Houston this past week, because Cutler is a, and I'm saying this honestly, is a tough watch because he's so unsettled and so undisciplined. Yeah. 
and his footwork is bad. His feet don't move with his eyes. I mean, there's after nine, whatever it is, I think nine years in the league, that's not going to change. That's Jay Cutler. Yet in the next breath, he can make a throw that you just go, oh, my God, how do you do that? And that's what you got to be careful about. That's Jay but Cutler. The, but the point I was making was I'm just not sure he's truly a shotgun three widespread guy. I, I mean, I watched – him and the Bears offense, and I even went through a ton of plays from last year. And, you know, I don't know if they truly have the back. We don't know if Lankford's that guy, but sometimes I wonder if they need to put him under center, run the ball more, yeah. try to go more play action, try to define it for him, you know, relatively speaking, uh, because I'm just not sure that he's a true shotgun spread guy. Going to the offensive line, and real quick, before we get to the protection, I, yeah. I th- one, that was one area where I thought that Jeremy Langford really stood out this week. Yeah. Pass pro, he was yeah. excellent. He gave great effort in pass well, pro. Well, let me tell you something. That comes from his college background because he played in a pro-style system where he had to do that at Michigan State. And a former receiver, too, yes. I mean, early yeah. in his career. So yeah. really impressive in that from that <coughs> yeah. respect. But uh, going to the offensive line, kind of patchwork in terms a of bit. a lot a lot of moving pieces. They you know they had the injury early in training camp to Hronis Grasso, who was a, a second- or third-round pick out of Oregon a couple years ago at center for them. So they draft Cody Whitehair in the second round this past year. Mm-hmm. With the intent to play him at left guard, it's right. what it seemed. He right. got work early in, in preseason as the number two center, and then when they signed Josh Sitton during the final cuts a couple weeks ago, he's inserted at left guard, and Cody Whitehair gets the start at center. Yeah, and, and that'll be a work in progress. Well, I think he can play center. Oh, now, yeah. he may, Athletically, physically, yeah. definitely. He, he may not be that guy right now, right? and in fact, he's had some issues. Uh, he us. certainly did week one, but I think eventually he'll do that. Josh Sitton can still play left guard in this league. Kyle Long is now at right guard. I think he he can play either tackle or guard, in my view. Long's a good player. Yeah. The issues I think they have are at right tackle, where they're playing uh, Bobby Massey, who yep. has struggled most of his NFL career since coming out of Ole Miss. And, you know, I think Charles Leno at left tackle, I think he can he can play left tackle in this league. He'd be better if he played with a quarterback that had a better feel for the timing an anticipation of the pass game. Jay Cutler's not that kind of quarterback. Yeah. But I, as I said, I watched a ton of Cutler throws from last season, and I thought Charles Leno improved as the season progressed. Yeah, and this is you talked about the the need for the pass rush to improve going up against this offensive line. That's going to be a huge matchup to watch in this game on oh, Monday night. Because look, you're trying to get Cutler to play fast to get him unsettled, which he does, and then to make those throws that are forced throws, which he always believes he can make. Yeah, and and you know at that point you hope you can get some turnovers. One area that I think is going to be really interesting for from the going now switching gears to the other side of the football is the matchups in the middle of the field. You know, looking at the Eagles' offense against the uh, the Chicago defense now. Zach Ertz, week to week, when we're not sure if he right. it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to play this week. I, we'll, we'll see as the, as the week progresses. We're taping this Tuesday night. So have no real idea, and we won't really get a sense until later in the week. But if they don't have Zach Ertz, you still have Trey Burton, who Will he seems be healthy like this week? It, it seems, Doug Peterson said that he was a game-time decision this past Sunday. Oh. So he'll probably be good to go, I would imagine, right. uh, for Monday. So you got Trey Burton back. A lot of versatile pieces in the backfield. You know, and can those guys win matchups against players like Jarrell Freeman, the linebacker? Can they win matchups against those two safeties in I the middle of the field? I thought Freeman and Trevathan stood out in the run game this week. I in don't the run know. game, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And yeah. Trevathan, he's got some movement to him. We both yeah. liked him out of Kentucky yeah. a few yep. years ago. Yep. But I, I wonder how many of those matchups they can win in the middle of the field uh, from an athletic standpoint, the running backs yeah. and tight ends against those backers. And that's something they'll test. I mean, look, you know they'll test it with Sproles. No and doubt. we'll see if he can do it. Um, 
you know, Burton's a very athletic guy. Burton, to me, and it was a shame he was hurt for week one, but he's a very interesting puzzle piece in the Doug Peterson offense. And, you know, again, not that he's going to catch 90 balls for 1,200 yards, sure. but, but I think he's a really interesting piece. Um, at corner, that's another area where, yeah. you know, look, they were starting uh, Glenn, the second-year player. Uh, Central Florida. Central Florida. Yep, undrafted. Kind of a lanky kid. You know, obviously won the job. But when he got hurt this week, they brought in the rookie from Northern Iowa, DeAndre Hall. And now he had some issues with Will Fuller, as you saw. Yep. But the Eagles don't have a player with that, that explosive. That, with that kind of juice. Right. Exactly. So we'll see. I mean, if Glenn is back, I assume he starts. If not, I would assume it's it's DeAndre Hall. Yeah, and Tracy Porter's on the other side. Right. He had a great interception earlier in the game. Uh, yes, he did. Week week great one. coverage on DeAndre Hopkins on that play. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, obviously a very, very intriguing matchup. Yes. Uh, Greg, you watched it most of the games from this past weekend. Was there anything else? Uh, one thing I like to ask you week in, week out, was there anything else around the league, oh. maybe that has to do with the NFC East, that uh, that stood out to you as you were watching tape this week? Well, a couple of things. First of all, the Redskins paid an awful lot of money for Josh Norman. He didn't really – he just played one side of the field. He didn't match up. Interesting. And that's yep. – That's been the talk of, uh, right. of the he, Tuesday for he, sure. He did not match up. Interesting. Uh, you know, so that's kind of – I don't want to say it's surprising because he didn't do that in Carolina. And so why would you think all of a sudden he could do it in Washington? Sure, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I thought that uh, Prescott's performance was solid. I mean, it, you know, it, obviously it's a regular season game. Uh, it, it wasn't as good as the preseason. But I thought he was, a, he was poised, he was composed, and I thought he was really, really solid given that it was his first NFL start. Overall, though, I think in watching the New England Patriots, and I watched that tape really carefully, their offense, I thought that was an unbelievable mix of coach understanding the player. Yeah. Because that whole game was three-step and quick five-step drops where they limited the reads, defined the throws, and Garoppolo executed perfectly. Against a defense, by the way, in Arizona that has some issues, which people may not be aware of, but they've got some issues. Yeah, well, that will be very interesting to watch. Obviously, uh, Arizona, one of the favorites in the NFC preseason uh, coming into this year. So, Greg Cosell, appreciate the time, as always, here on the Eagle Line, the Sky Podcast. We will see you Monday night for the game and then next Tuesday night right here at the Novacare Complex. Looking forward to it. Great stuff from Greg. And, again, you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. But the other is to go on iTunes, go on Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show, Give us a rating and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out to Richard S. in Charleston, South Carolina, who said he really enjoys the show, left a comment on iTunes, said he helps it helps his workouts go faster. So bonus points to Richard as well because he also commented saying that he loves the College Draft podcast with Ross Tucker and myself. So thanks to Richard and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier, I wanted to profile a player that the Eagles have got to stop on Monday night. Time to reveal who that is in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so the player this week is a former first-round pick, 
was drafted in 2015 out of West Virginia, and that's Kevin White, the wide receiver. Came in at 6.025, so six foot two and five eighths inches, just under 6'3", 215 pounds. All right, so he's got very good size for the wide receiver position. And at West Virginia, he lined up to the right side, the far right of the formation. At times, he slid into the slot. But he almost always was lined up to the far right in head coach Dana Holgorsen's shotgun spread offense. He flashed the ability to get off the line of scrimmage versus press coverage in college. Really fluid mover overall. Pretty smooth athlete for his size. I remember him really standing out at the combine in Indianapolis that February. He's got the speed to stretch defenses. In the routes that he was asked to run, he looked surprisingly crisp in and out of breaks. And I'll get, I'll get back to that in a little bit. Showed the ability to separate from DBs at the top of his stem in college. Looked really good, like I said, in and out of breaks. Showed the ability to stack DBs downfield. What does that mean? When you get vertical, you, when you're running a go route, you want to try and position your body in front of the defensive back so that he has to go through you to get the ball. If the ball's thrown well and out in front of the receiver, that defensive back has got to go through you to get the ball. That's what's called stacking a receiver or stacking a, a defensive back as a wide receiver. So he did a really good job doing that. I thought he played the ball really well in the air, and that was something that I was really impressed with. Really always high-pointed the football, attacked it in the air, caught everything. You know, won a bunch of contested catch situations, natural hands catcher. He could snag the football away from his frame. Was used often in the screen game. Uh, immediately got downhill, showed good vision, works to break tackles. He, re- he reminded me uh, of a particular Pro Bowl wide receiver, all-pro wide receiver, with the ball in his hands after the catch. Gives effort as a blocker, and he can win on the perimeter. Now, from a negative standpoint, he was a, he was a big-time prospect now. Okay, I, I thought very highly of him. The big thing that I was worried about, he played a little bit high at times. That affected his ability to separate in and out of breaks, and really just that you didn't see always the explosiveness out of cuts. And we're going to get to that in a sec. He's going to need to learn to work from the left side. You know, all of his routes came from the right. So if he's running a slant, he's running a slant towards the left. If he's running a dig, he's running a dig towards the left. He's going to have to work on the footwork and the timing and all that coming from the other side of the field as well, coming out of college. Not an elite change of direction guy with the ball in his hands, not overly explosive. Wasn't going to be a consistent, over-the-top deep threat in the NFL. But I thought he was a contested catch weapon. I thought he was a terror in the open field. The guy he reminded me of, little bit physically was Larry Fitzgerald just because of that size, that physicality, that ability to win in the air, and that yards after catch ability. Now, now to this point, he has not been Larry Fitzgerald, obviously, right? He, he missed the whole season last year with the torn ACL. I was really intrigued to see him return to the field this summer. While he hasn't looked awful, I don't really see the same level of explosiveness I saw on tape at West Virginia either. And the biggest issue I see is that he's on the ground a lot. You know, I mentioned uh, that stiffness sometimes at the top of his route, and that's something that he, you know, at the top of breaks, he was constantly on the ground. In the preseason, saw it again in week one uh, on some of those comebacks and the digs, anything where he's got a breakdown at the top of his stem, he'd slip out of his break. And, and that's something that, you know, I don't know if, it's, if he's still trying to learn the, the route tree. I don't know if it's because he's still trying to learn to trust that knee. Whatever it is, that's something they really, they really want to see if he can take the next step. They line him up all over the field you know, right now in Chicago. They line him up as a number one outside. They line him up sometimes as a number three. They'll put him on the same side as Alshon Jeffrey, which really presents a lot of issues from a matchup standpoint. So, really, he can be a big boost to that passing game if he can. Certainly, someone the Eagles' secondary must be prepared for on Monday night. All right, I teased it earlier. I caught up with Eagles running back Byron Marshall to talk about the Texas route. Let's get to that now in Two Technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. 
Here now with Eagles rookie running back Byron Marshall. And Byron, I want to talk to you about running one of the, uh, the fans' favorite routes out of the backfield. We've seen it so many times with a lot of big play running backs over the years. A little Texas route, our route, a lot of different names for it. Just talk about the route and what are the basics. Take us from snap to finish. Uh, whether you're from the gun or, or, in the, uh, or on the center, you just want to want to run with speed. So you run with speed about two yards outside the tight end. That's what that's where you end up making a break on the line of scrimmage. So really push the speed up to the line of scrimmage. Stay like you're running the flat. Plant on the outside foot, whether it be your left or your right. Come back and break in at a 45 degree angle. Keep it tight so you don't run into the linebackers, and just catch the ball and make a play from there. At what point in the route do you think, all right, I've got I've got this guy? Are you are you watching the linebacker at all, or are you more focused on running the route? You see the backer a little bit, but you know you really want to sell your head and your eyes to the flat. So you're not so so much looking at the backer, but just really looking at the flat and where you're supposed to be, or trying to act like you're going to be. And then once you get to the line, line of scrimmage, make that quick plant and cut, and then from there it's history. All right, the reason I wanted to talk about the Texas route this week with Byron is that I really feel that the Eagles can take advantage of some matchups in the middle of the field. You know, and what does that mean? When you're matched up on these linebackers and these safeties in the secondary, I think that there are matchups to be won in the middle of the field, whether it's guys like Trey Burton and Brent Selleck at that tight end spot, whether it's the running backs and Darren Sproles or Kenyon Barner or Wendell Smallwood. I can, ima- I can see those guys winning a lot of man-to-man matchups because – you know, I, they play a lot of man coverage on that end, uh, on, the, on the defense there for Chicago, like we talked about with Greg, and I think that they can win some of those matchups. So that'll be something that's really, really intriguing to me. You think back now, they, one of their linebackers, Jarrell Freeman, who they signed this offseason from the Indianapolis Colts. And you may remember 2014, week two, it was Darren Sproles' big game, right? It was a, the huge breakout game. It's his first season here in Philadelphia. He has that huge game. The Eagles go and win a game on the road in Mon- on Monday night. One of the players that was matched up with Sproles on the other side of the line was Jarrell Freeman for the Colts. And, and I don't know if it's going to be Darren Sproles, but I think that that's a, a matchup that you can try and take advantage of in space is those running backs and tight ends against the linebackers and safeties from the Indianapolis Colts. Whether it's with the Texas route or some other combination, I expect that to be something to watch on Monday night. Now, thanks again to Byron Marshall, to Greg Cosell, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, you know the deal. Of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And if you get the time, again, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, shoot me a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a a question, shoot us a comment. We can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that I'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.